0: Alabama. Thank you for tuning in. We are lovers of the word. We love the word. We love the truth of the word, and we are continually finding ways to put the word that sets men free, the truth that sets men free into the life. I want to lift up a a Lord Jesus this, this morning that always knows the way we should go and is always willing to lead us there. People say, I don't know what to go. Well, he knows, and he's willing to show us how to get there. Amen? So it's a good life. I'm going to do what Jonathan did. I'm going to go to an obscure book in the Bible called 1 Kings. See if you can figure that one out. It's over there on the left side of your Bible, 1 Kings. Let's go to chapter 17. We're ministering on entering and departing. Entering and departing such a key principle that is governing our life. And if we don't know it, it's governing our life. Or if we do know it, we can cooperate with it. But seed time and harvest is governing your life. Entering and departing is governing your life. Well, if something has that much control over you, has that much influence in your life, you ought to know about it. So when the Lord says, go this way, we don't just have a meltdown and and say, well, why? And what's the reason that we understand the principle, and so we make the turn gladly, and it every all things turn out amazing. First Kings chapter seventeen. Praise God, y'all love the word this morning. Praise God, we do. Let's look in verse one. Let's read a few verses here and see uh, what the word it says in Elijah the Tishbite. Aren't you glad you're not a Tishbite this morning? or not, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, we could put there wicked or evil Ahab, as the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, there shall not be, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but or except according to my word. How many of y'all know if Elijah had some power, you've got power. Everything he had was the minimum, was the base of what we have. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Elijah, get thee hence and turn thee eastward and hide thyself by the brook Sharif, that is before Jordan. And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. That's a place called there. Do you all know there's a place called there for you? Praise God. I have commanded the ravens to feed thee where? There. And he'd already told him where there was. So he went and he did according unto the word of the Lord. Now, how powerful is that? You know, it doesn't take a lot to get the blessings of the Lord. Here it is right there. He went and did according to the word of the Lord. Oh, thank you, Lord Jesus. We're going to we're going to went and do according to the word of the Lord. And for he went and dwelt by that brook, Cherith, that is, before Jordan. He went there. He went there. And the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning, and bread and flesh in the evening, and he drank of the brook. Now that's supernatural, don't y'all think? Praise God. And it came to pass, after a while, that the brook dried up. Why? Because there had been no rain in the land. Why? Why? Because the man of God had said, There shall not be. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth in Sidon, and dwell there. Dwell there. Behold, why should you dwell there? The Lord told him, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. Amen. So there's a place called there, but it changed. We're looking at patterns here. We're looking at principles here for our own life. There was a place called there. Provision was there on time, every time. It says morning and evening. And when the brook dried up, the Lord knew it. He said, time to move on. Go down to a specific new there. And I've got someone new there, not a raven, but a woman, a widow woman. And she's going to take up the supply of heaven towards your life. And in verse 15, we could read all these there. You can read them. And it, and she, uh, he talked to the widow, and she went and did according to the saying of Elijah. Something else more important than thinking it out, reasoning it out, being so knowledgeable and so wise and so accomplished in how things work. Now, she didn't do any of that. She went and did according to the saying of Elijah, and she and he and her house did eat many days. And the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil fail, according, according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by Elijah. Well, there's a lot more there, but the point is, there is, is that not any brook would do. You know, there's water in every brook, and this may not have even been the closest brook, but it was the brook that the Lord told Elijah to go to. And he told him, go there, because that's where, why? He had assigned the ravens to go there. Your provision, my provision, is not just somewhere, it's there. And that's why when you say, I'm going to move to another town to get a better job, you better find out first if the word of the Lord is there. Because if it's not there, you don't even have to ask the Lord again, do you really want me to go there for that better job or that uh, better climate or that better situation? You don't even have to ask him about that because he's only going to send you to where the provision is. And the provision, as we see here, is in the word of God. And so uh, he went there until the brook dried up. And I've been there. Have you been there where you were in a place where there was provision and you're real inclined to think, this is where he sent me, therefore this is where I'll always stay. But suddenly the Lord said, let's do something else. I've I've seen it over and over in my life, and I've seen it in y'all's lives, where what was was wonderful, amazing, there was provision, there was the supernatural, there was a testimony of how you got to there, but it's not forever necessarily. We see in the uh, land of the wilderness where the children of Israel were, the cloud would come, the pillar of cloud, the pillar of fire would stop at a place, and there would be provision and supply and everything. But then one day, Moses would say, we're heading out. And you know, and we always talk, I talk about that picket fence that everybody puts around their house, their tent, and uh, puts daisies around it and uh, puts a dog chain out so they're, they're, you know, all that stuff. They get settled in. Well, people get settled in. They don't want to get unsettled. I'm telling you how it works here. They get settled in. They've come out of a hard place to a medium place, and medium becomes good enough because it's a lot of trouble to rise up and go to the next place, and we get settled in our thinking, and it's just not the pattern of the Lord. It's not how He operates. He doesn't care that you have to move again and again. He doesn't care that He calls you to a faraway place or to a new job or a new whatever. That is the word of the Lord, and that's where the provision always is. Now, you can live on less. You can live by scrapping around and digging around and seeing if you can get a few weeds to eat and this, that, and the other, but the provision, the overflow is there. Now, most people say God knows where I am, and if he wants to feed me, he can. You know, that's theoretically true, but it's not scriptural. It's just not how heaven does, and you you say, well, I think it ought to be that way. Well, that's fine and good, but he set the rules, and he's going to do it his way. (laughs) You can just cooperate, or you can do something else. And so uh, after the brook dried up, the Lord came to him because he's faithful to come to us and give us direction. Listen, we're not talking about the Old Testament. We're not talking about Elijah here. We're talking about us. He's faithful to give us new direction. We don't have to wail and cry and carry on. I'm down to my last 6000 Lord. I'm down to my last, uh, you know, the car won't last much longer. Don't you care about me? Well, if it's lasting, if there's money, he's satisfied. He doesn't care about your rainy day fund. He doesn't care about the comfort of having plenty around and having a uh, comfort zone that's, uh, that won't stress you. He doesn't care about that. He, he'll feed you every day. Manna will come every day. The ravens will come every day. And the meal of flour or uh, of the barrel of meal will never run dry. It'll be there every day. And if it ever runs dry, well, then there's a new place. There's a new plan. And so he sent her to an exact brook and he sent him, excuse me, him to a, an exact widow. Now, I, I suspect you would think there was lots of widows in that day, but there may have been just one widow that was willing to sow her last meal in order to reap the drought being broken in her life in her land you know it could have been like goshen in egypt it could have been just the provision of lord in one place but you got to be in that one place amen i know i'm i'm preaching to the choir this morning we've all had this happen but we have to talk about it regular because we are presenting god's presenting new things And they're bold, and you go, well, he's through with me. I'm 50, I'm 60, or whatever. He's through with me. Ah, (laughs) he doesn't care about that. He took, uh, took, uh, how old was Joshua when he finally went in? Was he 80, or was he? All these folks, you know, God didn't care that they were older than others. He wasn't always looking at the young uh, bucks to do it, although he did it a lot. He looks at the heart and says, we can do this, because he can strengthen us by his might in our inner man he can fill us with the knowledge of his will so he he he's not nearly concerned about the temperature of the room or the the uh, frailty of our situation he's going to deliver you and he's going to tell you about how to get that so the exact brook where the ravens came and the the provision was and the exact widow that he had been preparing, she was down to her last meal. She had a son, it says, and she said, uh, I just got one more meal in me. We are going to go eat it and we're going to die. And the prophet of God intervened. Now, let me just tell you, he's intervening in your life. You may be thinking or questioning or, or uh, going over how close we are to the edge in so many ways. And he, he doesn't care. He, he, he's not trying to put you in a place to believe, but that's where the door for the supernatural is, is in a strange place that cannot be figured out in your head. You can't figure it out. You may figure it out, but you can't reason it out and present it to some other people and say, y'all, we, th- we think this is the way it ought to be. It, it, it's for you, but it's not for anybody else, the supernatural. So he defeated Ahab and Jezebel. Now, we've got to zoom back to the big picture here because God's interested in the big picture. This provision wasn't provision's sake. It was to defeat Ahab and Jezebel. So he raised his hand and said, according to my word, it'll not rain. And what was it, three and a half years it didn't rain, something like that, a long time. And uh, how? Do, well, God's going to raise up a big army and going to come down and squash Ahab and Jezebel, or he's going to make them sick, or he's going to kill them, or he's going to... what? No, he just showed himself strong through those that loved him. So he defeated Ahab and Jezebel, but he started out with the man getting fed by the ravens. Hallelujah. So timing, let's say this, timing and obedience, timing and obedience to you and I is not based on rationale and precedent. Just because something's happened one time, and some famous person got sick and died or some famous somebody got got into debt and got into lack or got whatever's going on out there is not yours and mine. It's not the blueprint for us because we can obey. We can hear and obey and everything will turn out amazing. Yay. So. Uh, Rationale—that That is our biggest enemy. It's not the devil out there. It's not the government over here. It's not our kinfolks or, or our neighbors. Our greatest enemy is just not thinking right, not cooperating with God by figuring it out how that could not be. We got to lighten up, don't we? <laughs> we got to lighten up and say, God, I don't have a chance. A snowball in hell's got a better chance. Excuse me for saying it that way, but than than me making it without you, we got to just be like I'm not. I have nothing in me that can figure this out. What do you want me to do, Lord? I have enough to obey you. I have enough to hear you and obey you, and that's the end of my story. Yay, yay! Uh, I didn't finish my story last Sunday, and I realized that after I left. But I told told you all about. Uh, my, my Bible study that we started uh, in Seagraves, Texas, that's where we lived, got filled with the Holy Ghost on January 1 and started a Bible study about two and a half or three weeks later. I don't remember exactly. And, uh, boy, it was a cranking machine. Uh, people would come to that from all over and get filled with the Holy Ghost, uh, <laughs> including the deacons from First Church. They, they were sending a deacon every week because we were still members of that church, and they were sending deacons every week to listen and see if they could find evidence on it. Y'all ever heard of that scenario here lately? Hallelujah. They were, they were spying out our land. And so, but it didn't matter. We People were getting healed and filled with the Holy Ghost and getting new jobs, and we were just, every Thursday night, we shared the Word. We got in there, and, and uh, God was moving. But after almost two years suddenly, I told you all this, suddenly the Lord said, this is your last Thursday. Tell everybody don't come back next week. And I'm telling you, there was some fussing going on. God never shuts down a Bible study, that sort of fussing. But we did. We shut it down, and and sure enough, the last Thursday that we had, there was nobody came except family. There were six of us. And there had been, you know, crowds every week. But for some reason, we hadn't told anybody anything. The night that we were going to announce that it's the last night, there was only family there. And we told them, we're going to shut down this Bible study, God said. And that's where the the riot broke out. It's like, no, God's this, and he wouldn't do that, and why would you? Well, we said, we don't know, but we do know that he said shut it down. Well, what was amazing, that in that Bible study, that thing that we were doing, uh there was a uh there was a grandmother in there it was uh uh our grandmother and she knew somebody down at Abilene and his name was uh oh I knew his name until just now but anyway uh he was down there and uh, uh so grandmother called him and said uh sure glad you came up to our bible study and everything and uh he said to her. He said, uh, I got a phone call I, I, on my machine when I got home. Excuse me, not a phone call. It was on my machine, and the machine said, call Trudy. You know the number. That's all it said. And for some reason, couldn't tra- I guess back then you couldn't trace the number. Call Trudy. You know the number. And so he says, I don't know Trudy. There's only one Trudy I know, and she is married to a, a, a preacher in Azle, Texas, North Fort Worth. And he said, so I called Trudy and said, hey, I got your message. What do you want? And she said, I sent you no message. He said, "Uh, what do you mean no message? Called Trudy. She said, it wasn't me. And so he said, well, what's happening? I've just just been up to a Bible study in Seagraves, Texas, and had a great time. What's happening with y'all? And she said, well, we're starting a church in Seminole, Texas, which was the county seat 18 miles away. We're starting it in just a short time. I forget exactly when it was, but it's a short time. We're coming down there, and so why don't you tell the Seagraves Bible study that we're coming? So, Granny told us, this is what's going to happen, and uh, wow, God knew that. Get that? God knew all this was going on behind the scenes, but we didn't know. But we'd already given up the Bible study, so as soon as uh, she told us, we got ready, and we went down to Seminole, and we were in the first service of that new church. Well, as it turned out, just a short time after that, the Lord moved them back to Azel, and I was the pastor. I became the pastor of it like that. And it was quite a story there, because somebody else was wanting to be the pastor and thought that it was in the bag, and... uh, It wasn't. (laughs) So my point being here is that you got to hear from God and you got to stick to your guns guns, when nothing makes sense because nothing made sense about quitting the Bible study there. So we entered the Bible study by opportunity. We didn't have a word from heaven that says I shall start a Bible study, but we just started it because we were so happy and full and the Lord didn't say don't do anything, so it was up by opportunity, we stepped out with no special word, and we just ministered for all those months, but suddenly he said, shut it down, and here's the part, we entered by opportunity, but we departed by faith, faith comes by hearing the word of the Lord, well, we heard the word of the Lord stop, and so we stopped with no rationale, no Reasonable re- thing to stop it, we stopped. And that's called entering and departing. We entered into the Bible study by faith, opportunity, but we didn't depart by opportunity. There was no opportunity, but there was faith, the Word of the Lord. So if you, all of life is entering and departing, or departing so that you can enter. We departed this Bible study so we could enter into the next phase of our ministry. Well, I'm telling you my story, but all of you can think of a story of your own that says, well, that's absolutely right. Sometimes I wouldn't do it, and it didn't work out, but when I did do it God's way, it always rang the bell. Amen? And if you go back and study it and think about this, it'll always work that way. Uh, We departed by faith, and the door opened. How I got to Alabama was not by anybody calling me here. I only knew one man in the whole state of Alabama, and that was a traveling guy that came through West Texas that I'd known for a long time. He traveled through and we had special meetings, kind of like Joe Morris. His name's Patrick Norris. And so uh, we came to Alabama, went to Birmingham, went to some services. I asked her when we was going home, what do you think about Alabama? It was July, and she said, too hot and too many trees. We were bothered by all those trees on I-20 in the mar- in the in the ditches there that were going straight up. You, where we come from, there are no trees. Every tree is a planted tree. So that means your backyard. There's no trees anywhere else. So too hot and too many trees. But you know, long story. We departed. We had a good church. Had all of our family there. Blessings were everywhere and it made no sense to come to Alabama where we knew only one person. There was no job, there was no money, there was no opportunity, there was no promises of any kind. But we, we, we gathered up $3,000, we had a $650 car payment and, uh, and a whole bunch of furniture. So we gathered up, put it all on a U-Haul, put a trailer behind that and towed the car, and we came to Alabama. I'm not telling you my story except to say, we departed by faith and we entered in to the greatest part of our life it turned that way so it was just like going to the brook and there's provision there the ravens came well the ravens came for us and the ravens have come for you so being spiritual being spiritual is not what you is not what you do at church being spiritual is what you do after church. A lot of things, oh, I'm the prophet, I'm the bishop, I'm the... And, you know, I prophesy in church. Well, we don't care about that so much. We want to know what you do Sunday afternoon till next Sunday morning. That is is spiritual, where you come and you get a hold of the Word of the Lord. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4, if you would, please. Ephesians chapter 4, we looked at this last week, but let's... Let's look at it from a different angle this morning. Now, we're kind of going around the, going around the bend here to get something said, but I think it'll, it'll play out. Let's look in uh, Ephesians chapter 4. Let's look in that same verse last week uh, in verse 11. The Word, the New Testament, says, He gave, the Lord gave some, what did He give? Apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. These are all preachers. There's no prophet. Listen, let me just tell you. There's no prophet out there that says I'm a prophet. That's not a preacher first. You're a preacher or a teacher. You have a you have a you have a uh, an oracle ministry where you are imparting the word. You're not just prophesying. Matter of fact, the the Bible says that. Uh, Who was it in uh, Acts that had four daughters that prophesied, four virgin daughters that prophesied? Well, everybody says, well, they were prophets, prophetesses. No, they weren't. They were just filled with the Holy Ghost and did what people with the Holy Ghost do. We prophesy. The word says, I wish that you all prophesied. So that's nothing. It's nothing. It's that. Prophets and apostles, they're all preachers. Evangelists, they're preachers. Pastors and teachers, they're all preachers and teachers. And it says he gave those. He gave those gifts, not the people. The gift comes into the person. And why did he give? Verse 12, for the perfecting of the saints. The gift is for the perfecting of the saints. So we need an evangelist in our life. We need an apostle in our life. We need all these things to be perfected. Now, you'd get along a little ways, and you can do some good, and you can have some increase, with just one or part of it, but if you want to be perfected, you need all of them. Isn't that what the Bible says? Isn't that what you just see there? For the perfecting of the saints, what? There's a comma there, but in the original, it's not there. And We need, we need this fivefold ministry for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry. Well, that means we're all being trained for the work of the ministry. Aren't you training your little ones for the work of life? Aren't you training them? Is that why you straighten them up and tell them to uh, take their muddy boots off at the front door? And why you tell them bedtimes at this hour and we don't let them decide? We're training them. We're training them for life. Well, the Bible says that our so-called, in that same context, parents or our guardians or whatever, although I don't want to go too far with that, it says that they train us. They equip us for the work of the ministry. It must be that we all have a ministry. Uh, you can find scripture for that, run my race, finish my course, and, and that we don't come pre-equipped. We, we see little kids. If you just turn them loose, they don't know anything, and they're going to make a mess of their lives. They're going to be in jail or something, get on something and do something. We got to train them. Everybody needs trained because we come with potential. We come with a clean slate, but somebody gets to write on it. And if you get the wrong writer, you're going to have the wrong turnout, so we're in church this morning, we're in church, we're in the Word all the time because we're being trained and equipped, and some of this is being interpreted or, or expounded on by the fivefold ministry. So he says there um, in, in verse uh, 12, and let's see, verse 13, how long? Well, I, I, got, I was in church for three years and that was enough of that, I know everything he knows. So, well, that wouldn't even be hard to believe. Because uh, the church I went to in Seagraves after we left First Church, uh, grand, Grandpa said this. He always said about that church, he said, anybody that can borrow a Bible can preach there. He <laughs> just, just like, I, I borrowed this and I have to take it back in an hour. Can I preach? Sure. Come on up. You don't even have your own Bible. So it, how long do we go? Well, we don't get to the end of two years or three years or six years and say, I'm trained. How many of y'all know we had all had parents in here, and we all still need training? Even when we turned 18 and cut loose, we still need training. So it says, how long till we all come in the unity of the faith? That sounds kind of like there's no back end to that. Sounds like that might be for as long as you live. And of the knowledge of the Son of God, how long? Until a perfect man, a developed man... Unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Wow. The, uh, the English version says, He did this to prepare all of God's people for the work of Christian service. Say Christian service. Christian service. Christian service. This will continue, how long? Until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord. So it's not good enough just to be born again. Churches fail that just get people born again and then move on to the next crop. They fail. They are failures. They are not doing what the Word says. The Word doesn't say that we're all supposed to just get people born again and move on. We're to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And it says, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Wow. So we're still in training, aren't we? I am. I don't know what y'all are thinking or doing, but I'm in training. I hadn't, I, you know, I get upset with people, and I sometimes, I mean, I'm just confessing it here. Sometimes I don't forgive the first hour or the first day. <laughs> well, we won't go on from there. Hallelujah. Uh, why? That, verse 14, that we henceforth, from now on, we be no more children, well, children are just regular people that hadn't grown up yet, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. So that must mean it's out there. It's every, it's not the same everywhere. One Bible, but many doctrines by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie, these men lie in wait to deceive, to deceive but what should we do? But speaking the truth in love, this is how we're going to grow up, may grow up into Him in all things, all things, which is the Head, even Christ. The TEV says we must grow up in every way to Christ, who is the Head. So we're not, we don't get through with church. We don't get through with the Word. We don't say, I've read the Word 17 times and that ought to be good enough. How many of y'all have ever driven down the street that you drive down all the time and suddenly, this happened to me the other day, I saw a house that I'd never seen, and it was always on that street. It's been there since I've been there, and I never saw that house. And how many of you ever been, I read the whole book of Ephesians or the whole book of Genesis and read it one more time and see something you never saw? But you know you read it, you know you read every verse, it was there, but... You never saw. Well, that's the way it's going to be forever. Praise God. So here, the Bible says in Ephesians that that's the job of the fivefold. I am not an event coordinator, although we do events, but i that's not what I do. It may be what I do, but it's not who I am and what I do. Any more than you as a parent do things, but that's not what you do. That's what you did, but that's not what you do. You do based on who you are, not what's out there. So he leads us, every one of us, to a place and a person or an event through life where we should go in order to equip us for the work of the ministry. And there's little tests, not tests from God, but life is just full of tests. There's there's challenges everywhere. That's the way life is. Somebody the other day was talking about, uh, you know, this isn't fair. This isn't fair. I don't. This isn't fair. Someone should pass away at this age. And what, what's this age? Wow, well, they're just 79 years old. That's not fair because cause Grandpa lived to 85. So what's not fair? 84? 80, what's not fair? So life is full of not fair. This is the only thing that can make you have an, a fair life. If you don't have this, life is going to be unfair. You go, well, I got a story. Well, tell your story, honey, because we all got a story. We all got a story about how it wasn't fair, how the devil got in, how people were terrible and did mean things and had no remorse and just kicked us to the side. We all have a story. Well, you know, it didn't, it didn't shape us. It didn't because we got, we got Jesus in our life and he's the great equalizer and he fixed our story. But we all have had a story that we had to be fixed from. Orphans, you go, ah, I'm having a terrible life. My parents won't let me do this and that. Be an orphan. You have no parents. And et cetera, et cetera. The the Passion Version says their calling, verse 12, is to nurture and prepare all the holy believers to do their own work of ministry. So Pam's got a work of ministry. Melissa's got a work. Deborah's got a work. Joey's got... We all have overlapping and similar thrusts of ministry, but our personality and our background leads us to minister to the same person two different ways. Uh, I've counseled people and went as far as I could with them, and then had somebody come in behind me and just straightened them out. Just, you know, it's like, wow, they clicked with her, or it worked with them, and it's like, I gave them all that, well, they didn't hear me, because I'm a certain personality, that's not my forte. I can tell y'all already. Hallelujah. So here's the question. We're transitioning. We're changing. We're, we're moving through life. We, we master life progressively. We are filled with the knowledge of his will. We are strengthened by his might in our inner man. We, we, are, we, we are growing up and we do better. Don't you wish you could do, have a do-over of 20 years ago based on what you know now? Oh, we were all filled with lust, which just means appetites for things. It's not sexual, it's not uh, naughty, it's just we we were worldly at one time until we shook that thing off and we did things, (laughs) or didn't do things that we wish we could have a do-over, a jerky back, uh, but here we are. All we can do is load up and take today and win today, and just leave the past in the past, and just say, well, he got me out of it. He saved me from it. So the question is, since we're in transition, all transition is a crisis. Every time you are changing, there's a crisis, which means it's not the same. It's different. It's like, I'm changing jobs. That's a crisis. You change church. Oh, major crisis when you change church. When you're down at First Church and you're just bringing in the sheaves and, and, and all of a sudden there's pro- this new thing. And it's like, but it's hard to leave my friends and hard to leave what's comfortable and familiar and, and feels good and go over here. And I don't know this doctrine and I don't know these people, but you'll never grow over here. You'll never, ever mature over here because there's been there 50 years and they're dead as a stump. So crisis is involved in moving. If you get divorced, if you married the wrong fella, you got the wrong girl, and you can see that possibility. It's not that they were wrong, but we weren't mature enough to handle the the weaknesses in other people. Not because they were weak, it's because we were weak. We couldn't get past their weaknesses. And they couldn't get past our weaknesses. So, you know, we split up and you go, well, gosh, my second one was so cool. My second marriage was way better. It's because we just chop off that old that every time you would see her or talk to him or whatever, it was just all the past would just be compacted into that thing and you just couldn't get past it. But you got somebody new. Whoo, there's somebody new and they don't remember your, your dirty dog past. You, they don't remember when you lied to them. You don't remember when you were a drunk or whatever. It's a fresh start. So people, they go like, oh, that woman was terrible, but now this woman is great. Yeah. Mm, probably not that much. You know what I'm saying. We, we change, we transition because we've grown up and things are different now. So why should we change? Why should we leave the old? Why should we depart? One reason is... Uh, It's so comfortable where we were. We're talking about your job, your marriage, your church. Uh, You remember the fight that it took to get to where you are. You were a sinner or you were a nominal Christian or you were from out of town and you had to fit into this church or this marriage or this job. And it's hard to leave because you're comfortable here. It's not perfect, oh, yay, it's, it's far from perfect. Matter of fact, you can hardly stand it. But what keeps you there is because you remember the fight it took to get there and you're not willing to start over. You know, at my age, we don't want to parent children. <laughs> I just tell you, grandchildren, yay! Mama, it's been three days, time for you to come. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Come get your sweetness. Come get your blessing. And, and we also, the second reason that it's hard to leave and it's hard to transition is because we have a tes, such a testimony of what God did to get us there. Every place you've ever been at, there was a testimony. And you think, well, if God used all this supernatural and these people and money and just things to get me there, why would he want me to leave? That was the question I had in Texas. It's like, what's out there? Because this is good. Because we all think that you shouldn't change unless it's bad. There's stress. There's trouble. There's anxiety. There's there's things going on, and we're so we're motivated to look around and see what could be better. But what if it's already good? What if it's like this is fine. It's not great. He's not great. She's not wonderful. But but I can do this. This church is like I, there's other churches worse than this, and so we settle. And then thirdly, we don't want to change because we look at the potential of things that you could do while you're still there. You look around. I looked around in West Texas and said, there's so much to do here and I can do all of it. And I've dreamed of doing all of it. Why should I leave what has a need? My mother said, here's what my mother said. Aren't there any churches in Texas that need you? Is everybody so good in Texas that you can't just stay here? Well yeah, well it was a logical but no, nope. Mom I gotta go. Well why? Because there is where he sent me. If there was a there there. And yes, there's no job, and yes, no one's waiting for me, but the ravens will feed me. <laughs> of course you could you can you see her eyes rolling from that? <laughs> oh, everybody was rolling their eyes like right. And here's what they all thought. This is what I didn't know it at the time, but they all thought, he's mad at the family, he's, he's too good for us, he's, he's, he's whatever, or he's on a spiritual whatever cult, and he's, he's getting out of here. They all accused me behind my back of not liking them. I'm leaving because there's a crisis. But crisis is not the motivation for leaving. The will of God is the motivation for changing. And yes, you go, well, if this was, well, this must not be the will of God because there's there's tr- there's crisis here. There's there's things that aren't working. And yet I think I did. I thought I got the will of God. Well, just because you're in the w- will of God doesn't mean everything is rosy dozy. I'm telling you, I'm in the will of God right now. And I've had great challenges. Y'all know those challenges financially and people and, you know, the water doesn't turn on and the pipe froze and... All that sort of stuff. Hallelujah. So all of life, and this is the point I'm trying to get to, all of life is composed of what we can expect, what we're looking to, is entering, entering in, exchanging, transacting while we're in, and departing. Departing for where? To the next level. Now, I'll tell you all something I hadn't told anybody. Probably shouldn't tell y'all, but the Lord told me because of Matthew 25, faithful over little, what is it? Master over much. He told me, he said I got to get you out of here because you have you're not promotable here. I cannot reward you. I cannot bring to you your promotion here. I must move you to a bigger place. Well, it's been 24 years. And <laughs> <laughs> I'll just say it's still out there. But I've got so much opportunity, don't you? So much potential. But apparently, and I don't know why, I don't know how, and I certainly don't disregard those people and that and that all my family. I love them dearly. I'm 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 gonna meet some of them this summer and just play, play, play. Cause they're my dear friends. So it's not like I left them and just dusted the shoes, my sandals off and just No, I love those people, but this is where I'm supposed to be. Are you where you're supposed to be? Well, you are for now, but I can tell you there's lots of things in your life, not church, I might add, (laughs) that are going to change, that are going to transition. So we depart singleness, y'all remember that? And we entered into marriage of some kind. And uh, you, you go from having your own way... And, you know, you can, you can make the bed if you want to, and or not make it. You can, you can leave the skillet in the sink all day or the next day because there's nobody else there to say, what? you use the skillet, clean up the skillet, and make your bed. It, a married life's different. Y'all know what married life is. But it transition. You have to change, you, and there's a crisis in it. And some men, it's like, well, you don't cook like my mama. Ooh, you talk about a self-made crisis. There's... A, <laughs> That one's in the oven. It's cooking. (laughs) It it, it is not good. Mama don't put those onions in my meatloaf. (laughs) Oh, my. Yeah. Um, And so then, even after we get married, we depart being uh, uh, adults that are having an adult lifestyle, having, you know, hey, you want to go to the beach this weekend? Sure. Let's go. And you just load up and go. You enter into children. Oh, we just it's not just you and me saying, let's go to the beach. That's not good for Junior to go to the beach this week. He's in day, daycare or whatever. Then, um, then we depart training children at whatever age they leave. Hopefully it's 430. Hopefully it's 420. But you're in a training mode. The Bible says train up a child in the way he should go. And when he's old, he won't depart from the training. But what about grown kids that don't leave? They may move out of the house, but you still are trying to boss them. But I found, it was a great revelation to me, one day the Lord spoke to, to us and said, uh, peers with history, they're Christian, I'm Christian, they were, they are still my sons, but I'm not their parents. Doesn't mean I didn't parent them, that they didn't, weren't my children, but now we are We're, we were, but we are, we're peers with history. You go, well, what's that all about? I tell you that leave and cleave thing is, is real powerful. But, uh, let me just say this. Let me get this on the tape. You're in covenant with who you go in covenant with, and you're not in covenant who you're not in covenant with. And that is the rules. So when when you raise your children, you're not in covenant with them, not then and not now. No matter how close you were and how much baby loves me and I, baby comes to see me and everything, you're not in covenant, especially in mixed marriages when you, when you, uh, uh, you have two people that have children come together and those, those babies are still the main focus of whoever's on either side of the marriage, his children and her children. And so it's hard for them to get into covenant and put the children aside and say, baby, I love you and I raised you, but I'm in covenant with this man. And so you just got to go home. You just got you, you to find a job. You can't live here. because Well, I, I've been with you for 20 years. I'm your kid. You've just been married to him five years. Yep, but we're in covenant. You go, well, what's that all about? you got to leave. you got to depart in order to enter in. Now, you may still have them together when they're little and you're both training them. That can be a train wreck. Do you all know about that? His kids and your kids? And it's like, oh, don't you talk to my baby that way. Well, if you're in covenant, you you talk to him that way. It's like, I birthed him, but he's yours too. This is tough in the Christian realm, but I just want to say it because I've been thinking it so long, and I want everybody to know, you're only in covenant with who you're in covenant with. And covenant is when you vow something. When you birth children, you don't covenant with them. You raise them because it's your part of being raised. It's how you pay off your own raising. And it works a lot of different ways. Sometimes people don't have children. They don't get married or they don't have children, either one. But there's a lot of ways that we just interact with life and help people along the way. Uh, what about the new birth? A lot of people have trouble departing the single life. The, the, not single, the sinner the life, excuse me. And they don't want to give up their friends. It's like, they're all heathens, but now I'm born again. So now I'm bought with a price in what? Not my own. But when I was a sinner, I was absolutely in charge. I owned it. I made decisions, and nobody was the boss of me. But now Jesus is Lord, and I owe everything to Him. It's hard to depart your old friends, your old lifestyle, your old habits, your old hangouts, your old uh, way of thinking, but you've got to depart it. Because if you don't, you can't enter into the Lordship of Jesus. I wrote down this. I don't know. It's just what I wrote down. It's not what you do in life, but why and how you mark life, how you leave life as you pass through it. There ought to be a trail of twinkly blessings behind you as you walk through life. They say Charles Finney, the 1800s evangelist, that he would walk on a train, walk on a train, and go down the middle aisle to find a seat. And as he went by people, the, a presence of God on him would so affect people, it's said about Smith Wigglesworth too, that they would cry out to God, Oh God, save me, I'm a sinner. And, just, and then beg the man, pull on his coat and say, How must I be saved? Well, he ought to mark life. It doesn't, it doesn't really matter what you do in life whether you're an engineer or a petroleum person or a housewife or a a bookkeeper, that's irrelevant. It's what you do wherever you are. It doesn't matter what your children become. You go, oh, Bobby, you need to be an accountant or a doctor. All Jews, almost all Jews, they know that their sons are going to be lawyers or doctors. And they, they kind of pick the one that seems the most suited. And every kid knows, every Jewish kid knows that's where we're going. Well, I don't say we do that, but we, we certainly should influence our children to do right. So how we depart anything, how you depart the sinner life, how you depart singleness, how you depart as being a child, how you depart a church. You go, well, the Lord's calling me on. Do you all remember that day when you were going to first church and suddenly you just couldn't take it anymore, but it was going to be a crisis to leave? Unless you were just a nominal nobody, how about when you got married and then that didn't work out? The Bible says God hates divorce, but I tell you, he's not mad at anybody that's in divorce. That is so not an issue with him. It is, it's you and me that suffer from, from getting divorced or whatever. It's us that suffer, not God. He's not mad at anybody. It wrecks the kids. It wrecks, it wrecks a lot of stuff that has to be reconfigured and redone. But he's not mad at anybody. I'll tell you, if a man's slapping around a woman, a wife, he's absolutely for divorce because he's a delivering God. Don't, he doesn't say, you stay there and take that because I hate divorce. Absolutely, he'll, he'll send you to the lawyer to write that thing up and get out of Dodge. Now, <laughs> that's me, but I've got good scripture to back that up. So don't be under any condemnation for having got out of Leroy's grasp because you were stupid when you married him and your parents were stupid for letting you marry him and, uh, and there was stupid everywhere. But then the light comes. <laughs> the light does come. Okay, I got I to gotta move on here. Uh, promotion and increase are always preceded by crisis. So really, now here's, here's what that looks like. When you have an opportunity to move on but it looks tough, Take it if it's the will of God. He will get you not only through it, you'll excel going all the way. Matter of fact, staying, there's no unction, there's no anointing, there's no grace to stay where you are because there's no faith to stay there. There's just dread and frustration. But if you'll say, God, I'm going to go on. I'm going to get the Holy Ghost and be with Holy Ghost people. He'll help you. How many of y'all know that's true? Because everybody, everybody that's ever got the Holy Ghost, you went through some troubles. Unless you were just surrounded complete with all these people, but most of us weren't. And so anytime you go from a transient lifestyle, where every day is a new day, you get up and it's like, what do I want to do today? To a, an established lifestyle, it's like, well, today I'm going to work, and Sunday I'm going to church, and I'm going to prayer meeting on Mondays, and I'm going to... When you have that lifestyle, there's crisis involved. Because people are always calling on Sunday morning and saying, hey, let's go do this. And, you know, like we used to. We used to have so much fun. Let's go to Atlanta and let's, let's spend the weekend there. Well, now, nobody cares if you go to Atlanta and spend the weekend there. But I'll tell you, it's, you had to miss church and it works on the inside of you to have to miss church. Um, God's pattern in, in the Christian life is to transact. He's always transacting with your life. He's not, we're not just floating along. He's transacting every opportunity he takes to make us grow up, just like you did with your kids, is to transact. Uh, I like this. We read it last week, Deuteronomy six twenty-three In the good speed, it says, wow, this is so good. He brought us out from there that he might bring us into a position to give us. He brought us out to bring us in. So we, as people of faith, are always looking out to find a place to go up from where we are, even if it's the best place we've ever been in. I got this job, and I've never made so much money, and it's just so much. I have to work Sundays, but, you know, it's better than where I am. He's always saying, come on, son, we can do better. Well, I don't know. Yep, you, you can know. And he's always transacting us. Uh, but if you're unwilling to depart, listen, you won't enter in. I had lots of, it took me a year in Texas to make sure, because I didn't want to step out of the water unless he said, Come. I was going to be in the boat with him, other 11 boys, because <laughs> it was safe in the boat. It might not be the best, but it was safe in the boat. But so we took a year and said, God, if you're sending us out of this good, safe, comfortable place of we're getting a check every week and we're seeing our kin folks, and we got babysitters. Colin had eight grandmothers when he was born. They fought over babysitting. Ask anybody if that isn't cool. <laughs> yeah, you won't babysit. No, <laughs> eight of them had eight grandmother, you know, steps and this, that, and the other so if you if you're unwilling to depart, you can't enter in. That's how you got in River church is you were willing to depart something, and now he may be calling you to be a an apostle or a bishop or something, and uh you've got to be filled with the Holy Ghost and you've gotta find a way to preach as an oracle you've got to find a way to fulfill that calling you gotta you gotta step out for the water to gel up and walk on it. There's no, there's no like, I, I think it's hard now, I think we can get out. No, it's always going to be swishy and boisterous and flowing until you put your foot on it at the last second. till til you so much put it on there, you're going to sink if it doesn't. And sure enough, there it is. Praise God. Um, let's turn to Mark chapter 10. we got just a minute. I want to look at this scripture here. Mark chapter 10. And then we'll, we'll quit sometime after that. Doesn't that comfort you? Hallelujah. Chapter 10, verse 46. Let's just look at an example. That's what I want to do today. It says in verse 46 of Mark chapter 10, and they, w- and they came to Jericho. And as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great number of people. So there's a crowd, isn't there? There's a And blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the hi- highway side begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he had an opportunity to transact. He began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Well, then the pressure, the pushback came, and it says, and they, many charged him that he should hold his peace. But he cried out the more a great deal. So here we're seeing a coming, a departing. He wanted to depart being blind, and he was he was investing everything in that that process. Now, I can hardly tell y'all how many times the Lord has come to you this very same thing and we didn't recognize it. Now, remember, he was blind. And remember, he'd only heard of Jesus of Nazareth. And he was coming by with a great entourage. It wasn't like Jesus walked up to him and said, hey, man, how would you like to see? This was a faith. He, he had to initiate and follow through with great dearth, like the woman with the issue of blood, had to go and find him in the midst of crisis. And it said, uh, Jesus stood still. Wow. And commanded him to be called. And they called the blind man, saying unto him, Be of good comfort, rise, he calleth thee. Now look in verse 50. And he, casting away his garment. Now, that doesn't tell you much about the culture there, but blind people had to wear a blind people garment he cast away his blind people garment rose and came to Jesus and even then the Lord Jesus said what wilt that I should do to thee there's been crusades where people in wheelchairs the man of God the healing evangelist would come to them and say mama what what do you want Jesus to do here and they'll say man I got a I got a ringing in my ear And they'll say, is that all? Oh, yeah, get that fixed, and I'm good. And they they pray for it, and the ringing goes. It any? Mama, is there anything else? Mother, can we do something else? Nope, I'm good. And then she just starts wheeling out. You you all know, I don't have to say a thing about that. Uh, So he said, what wilt that I should do unto thee? And he said, that I might receive my sight. He said, thy faith had made thee whole. That's a story right there. And it's our story. We go, well, that was then, and that was Bartimaeus, and he was blind. All of us have got a place just like that, where we have to hear the name of Jesus. Sometimes you've got to go to a meeting. I have been to meetings from Seagraves, Texas, that were in Abilene, three and something hours away, and, you had to, and nobody knew anything about it. It's just like, well, Jim Spillman's going to be there. Remember Jim Spillman from way, way back? Well, he was just, we went to everything. We went to the Happy Hunters. We went everywhere that anybody was doing anything. <laughs> and we got increase every time. I've been to Creflo Dollar meetings. I've been to Kenneth Copeland meetings. I've been to Kenneth Hagen meetings. Just wherever there was a presence or a, uh, anything going on. It, here they were saying, Jesus, passed is by. And he treated it just like, well, Kenneth Hagin's going to be in Tulsa. We should go to Tulsa. You go, well, that's not the same. It's exactly the same. And so people miss meetings here. They go, well, I had some knitting I needed to catch up on. I had one sleeve still a little short, and I needed to stay home and, and knit that sleeve out instead of going to the... <sighs> Can you help people like that? They're not willing to transact. And so they're, they're knitting the next year when the speaker comes back. Uh, you know this one. I won't even read it, but you know the story of the man that said to Jesus... Uh, can I, I'm, I'm going to follow you. And it says in the Living Bible, uh, it's Luke nine, sixty one. it says, Another said, Yes, Lord, I will come, but first let me ask permission of those at home. Uh, the King James says, uh, what does the King James says? Yeah, same thing. That's not King James, that's Living. But Jesus told him, Anyone who lets himself be distracted from the work I plan for him is not fit for the kingdom of God. I think it says, Who, whoever puts their hand to the plow and looks back is not fit in the King James. Uh, it's not just blatant like that. It's every degree. So we can go faster. Point yourself and say, hey, you, you can go faster. We can go faster. I want to go faster. So, uh, you know, people that stay too long in one place, working it out. Well, should I or should I not? And what about this? And what about that? too many questions. If you stay too long, you're going to miss it. Can I tell y'all, a lot of people stayed too long deciding, and then by the time they said, okay, I'll do it, it was over. The door had closed. All the time this happens. You got to jump. You got to jump. Well, what if I miss it? No, you won't miss it. Once you decide you're going to obey God, he will so imprint you; you won't miss it. When we were still deciding to come to Alabama, we had finally decided. We think we are. We were hanging over a uh, in the Granada Royale Hotel. Had a big courtyard and had these trees in one corner, and and uh, and we were sitting on there waiting for lunch to come. And we looked in there, and it said Vulcan Industries, Birmingham, Alabama. Now that meant nothing to nobody, but it was like a whoo hoo. <laughs> I never heard, I never heard Sweet Home Alabama till we were coming back from Tulsa saying, we're going to go home and pack. And this song came on there, Sweet Home Alabama. I guess y'all had heard it a gazillion times, but I'd never heard it before. Once you decide to jump, to depart, he will make a way for us to enter. I want to enter. I'm not near through, are you? I said, I'm just now worth, I just now know enough to do something for God. I just now know enough. I just now have grown up enough where he'll say, I'll put you in school now. It's not that I know enough to do anything, but I know enough to go to school. And I'm going to school. I'm in school right now. Whatever he says, I'm in. Well, what about this? You're getting older, and what about that? your money and everything? Ah, he's feeding them with a raven. Don't, don't y'all know that had beaks? beaks? Slobber on it. <laughs> you, you couldn't be a picky eater. I only eat tangerines from South Florida. Uh, you probably weren't going to make it too long. Ahab was probably going to roll that thing. <laughs> it's like the, the, the ravens were coming in and just dropping it off. I'll tell you all, I looked it up, and I know how much it is. The tons of flesh that the ravens, the, the, the quail, excuse me, the quail, The quail that would fly in for the children of Israel, there was two or three million of them, you know, and they ate quail because they complained, saying, God, we're tired of this manna business. And he said, okay, we'll do better. The tons of the quail that flew in to feed that every evening for those years. So we don't have any problems, do we? So Father, in the name of Jesus... We welcome the crisis of change. We welcome the transition and the transaction to be elevated, to be promoted, to be increased. Lord, we're, we're not here to be comfortable. We're not here to be convenienced. We're not here to be in a restful place. We are the army of God. We are bought with a price. We're not even our own. If you say go, we're saying where? Where? So, Lord, we thank you right now that you are good, good, good to us. You've never been mean to any of us. And, Lord, what you have for us is glorious. What you have for us is exciting. For what you, what you have for us is, is exceeding abundantly above what we could even think about, what we could even dream of. It's over there, Lord, but you're waiting for us to depart our old picket fence place, our tent in the wilderness, and say i want to go to the land of promise we want to be there wherever you've assigned us so we say yes all over this house we say yes yes to the move of god yes to the position the office the calling that's on each one of us yes to the training and the and the uh and the learning that's involved yes to say no to things that that were but are no more we say I'm, I'm leaving that, I'm departing that, so I can enter into this. Thank you, Lord, you, that you even have a plan for us, that you even have a calling for us. Thank you, Lord, that you got better than this. We, we think this is the best it's ever been, and we're in America, Lord, it's the best of it is anywhere. But yet, but yet, the kingdom of glory is greater than this, and we don't even have to go to heaven to start out. So we give you praise, Lord. It's happening beginning this morning. It's happening right now. Increase is on our lives. In Jesus' name, we say yes. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, hallelujah. Well, the, the good thing about this, the, the power of this kind of principle teaching and, and, and stuff is that no matter what situation you're in, no matter what comes your way, you don't have to say, well, Lord, what do I do about this you already have it in there, and whatever it is, it just falls into the slot, and you know what to do with it. You know, you say, "Lord, should I cosign my my son's car?" Uh, he he's already made that clear and plain. You don't even have to ask. He, matter of fact, he's not going to talk to you about it because it's in the Word. Well, Lord, should I marry this woman before I get divorced from that one? Well, that's a poor example, but I'm just saying. That was a bad example. We're not not those people, but still. Oh, okay, we'll say, should I tithe to my kid that's going to college? He needs it so bad. Should I bring my tithe to him? There's a better example. You don't even have to ask him that because your son's not the storehouse. Amen. Well, amen. Well, I bless you. I bless you because we are blessed, and the blessing of God is all over us, and increase is in our path in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.